the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, one verse, verse 29, Matthew 5 and 29. And while you're doing that, let me just uh, kind of put a, a perspective on our message this morning um, and also that of the, the previous weeks and uh, the, the next uh, few weeks to come. Um, these messages, each of them, are, I believe, designed by our Heavenly Father to deposit important pieces of instruction into our lives to deal with exactly what is happening in our world today, how it touches us, how it affects us, and how we can be effective for good in the world around us. And so this morning is no different. This morning is a piece. I can't possibly bring a, have all the time to bring a full complement of messages that talk to us about how to overcome and be effective, but this morning is an important piece to that puzzle called the trap of offense, the trap of offense. So Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, he said, If your right eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. I've included the Amplified Version because where Jesus says in the King James, if your right eye offends you, the Amplified chooses a little different phrase and uh, brings out a nuance that we need to look at this morning. So here it is again. If your right eye serves as a trap to ensnare you, or as an occasion for you to stumble and sin, pluck it out, throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one member than that your whole body be cast into hell. Now, when Jesus made this statement, and he used the word offend, if your, if your uh, right eye offends you, or as Amplified said, your right eye serves as a trap, he used the word, the ancient word, scandalon. Guess what English word we bring out of the word scandalon? It's the word scandal. And uh, it literally means a sapling tree that has been bent over to form a trap. You've seen the, the little stick bent over um, and with a rope tied to it and a little noose covered with some leaves and bait put there waiting for the unsuspecting person to come and boom, there you are, you're trapped. And so that's the word Jesus used when he said if your right eye offends you or form, uh, uh, allows you to step into a trap, he said, better you should pluck it out than that you let it drag you to hell. Pretty powerful uh, statement. So listen, uh, this is the way Satan's trap of offense works. It works through the part of you that reaches for the bait. If there's not a part of you that's reaching for the bait in that trap, you're not going to be trapped. The trap can be set, but it's not a trap for you. So if it's an eye or a hand, Jesus said, cut it off before it drags you to hell. But what if it's an attitude? What if it's a thought? What if it's the words coming out of your mouth that are spoken out of your emotion? What if it's an attitude that's reaching to engage with something that you don't like, something that disagrees with you, something that offends you? Now, in today's culture of victimization, fault-finding, uh, strife masquerading as advocacy, People with offended attitudes are considered social heroes. But Jesus said they're really just prisoners of an offense. 
they've been captivated by an offense. And so you can see them dangling by the rope of offense, screeching, carrying on, howling, and getting all kinds of attention for it. And so, in fact, let me just, let me just add, if it's not your eye, if it's not your hand, but if it's your attitude, if it is the thoughts of your mind and of your heart um, that become trapped in the trap of offense, that is the most damaging and dangerous to your life because that enslaves not your arm, but it enslaves your heart, your heart through which faith and love must flow. And so if your heart is caught in that snare, you truly are trapped in the trap of offense. Now again in our text, Jesus said, if your right eye offends or traps you. So when Jesus is talking about the trap of offense, I find it interesting that he's not condemning or criticizing the bait that lures people. He's criticizing the trap that enslaves people. That's a big, that's a, that's a big uh, observation to make, that uh, Jesus is not giving a social rebuke against the things that the world can bait your attitude with. But he's warning you. The warning is going out to you not to become trapped by their offense. It's not that he doesn't care about the things that are used as bait. Those are all issues unto themselves. But the true concern for us as individuals and collectively as a people is that we not turn the bait into a trap of offense for our life. So in short, no matter how valid your claim about the offense that baits you, it could be a domestic situation, it could be someone close to you and oftentimes is a, a loved one, someone that's um, just cut you off or offended you in some way. Um, whatever your claim is against the thing that offends you, that has baited you, um, no matter how valid it is in your mind, um, if you become trapped by it, your enslavement's going to become a much bigger issue in your life than the thing that lured you into it in the first place. Let me make something very clear to you. The trap of offense, let's take it out of the realm of the domestic, let's take it out of the realm of the social and Let's put it where it really belongs. The trap belongs to Satan. Satan is Lord of the trap of offense. In fact, God said through the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, able to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves. If God peradventure might give them repentance, to the acknowledging of the truth, so that they might recover themselves out of the snare or the trap of the devil who have been taken captive by him at his will. So notice that even God makes clear that we understand the trap of offense is Satan's trap. And people that, are, that find themselves trapped in it are taken captive at his will. Another version says taken captive to do his will. And I think both of them are valid because when, when you're trapped in offense, you're trapped at the devil's will, at Satan's will, and you're also available to do his will. It's about all you can do. Um, so uh, the trap of offense belongs to Satan. I just want to make that clear before we go on. In the 1860s, 
An illegitimate Irish boy by the name of Joel Chandler Harris worked on a plantation outside of Georgia. He was poor, as I said, it was illegitimate, kind of a cast-off, managed to find a little work during the Civil War on this plantation. But in his spare time when he wasn't working, he was spending all of his time in the slave quarters with the slaves whom, whom he had more in common with and, and befriended. Later on in life, uh, Joel Harris became a great writer, had quite a gift for writing, and um, he compiled all the life lessons and the stories that his older slave mentors had taught him those years that he had spent with them on the plantation and compiled them into a series called the Uncle Remus Stories. And you may remember those from, if nothing else, uh, before they outlawed it, the, uh, the Disney movie, movie Song of the South. You might have wondered where that came from. The last time you saw it was probably 1970. But at any rate, um, so the Uncle Remus stories were the compilation of those, those proverbial um, pointers on life, if you will, that the, that the slaves taught him uh, as he spent time with them. Now, one of the most classic of the Uncle Remus stories that he learned from those slaves was one having to do with avoiding offense. And this, this particular one um, is traced back to ancient Africa. Researchers have, have found it in the archives of, among ancient African tribes. And it has also been, uh, variations of it have been found in cultures all around the world, including American Indian cultures, if you will. So it has circulated around the world, and it's called the Tar Baby. Everyone say the Tar Baby. How many of you, just, just out of curiosity, how many remember the, the story of the Tar Baby? Some of you remember. Phenomenal story, very interesting. If nothing else, you can Google it. I think Wikipedia is, is, uh, can give you a little background on it. At any rate, the story of the Tar Baby has two main characters. A very clever rabbit by the name of Br'er Rabbit. Br'er short for brother. We'll just call him Br'er Rabbit because that's what... Uh, that's what the author called him. So Br'er Rabbit, very clever rabbit, and a very conniving devilish fox, and his name is Br'er Fox. Now Br'er Fox is always trying to capture Br'er Rabbit, and he devises a sure-fire weapon that is designed uh, with uh, the rabbit's weakness, personal weakness in mind, and uh, Br'er Fox knows that, that uh, Br'er Rabbit's biggest weakness is his pride, his ego. And so he fashions a doll from tar and turpentine and puts clothes on it, sets it up on the side of the road where he is sure that Br'er Rabbit's going to come hopping by. And, of course, in his precocious way, he's going to want to uh, address the tar baby. And his pride being what it is, he's going to become a Offended when the tar baby does not respond to him. So um, certain that this is what's going to happen, the fox sets it all up and then slides down uh, under some grass on the side of the road and waits for the magic to do its work. Well, sure enough, Br'er Rabbit comes along, greets the tar baby, who rudely ignores him. And um, just right on cue, he becomes offended, throws a punch, and the next thing you know, he is brawling with the tar baby. 
Well, from the very first punch, the tar baby's not punching back, but it's all over him. And he is trapped in the tar baby, helpless to escape Br'er Fox, who's waiting for him by the side of the road and does capture him. I don't need to go on with the rest of the story. You pretty much get the idea how that trap works. Now, whatever African tribal wise men devised the tar baby proverb, they nailed the schematic, God's schematic of Satan's trap of offense. Remember, in Timothy, the Lord had, had uh, Paul write Timothy and say, the servant of the Lord must not get into strife, but be gentle to all men, able to teach patient, in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves so that they can recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who've been taken captive by him at his will. So you see the picture here is that um, God is instructing believers to walk free from strife so that they can help people who are in strife. So that when people who oppose themselves, I find that description to be, um, well, it's not humorous because it's, it's really not that funny if you've been in this situation, but it says they're fighting with themselves. They oppose themselves. Isn't that the picture of, of Br'er Rabbit fighting with the tar baby? He's completely balled up in it. And uh, people who don't forgive, people who get into bitterness, people who get into strife, they are fighting with a tar baby. They're really not even fighting with the person that offended them. They're not really making any meaningful contact with the issues, the bait, if you will, that drew them into the trap in the first place. They're just taken captive by the devil. So if we as believers are going to be effective in the harvest today, if, if we're going to be able to witness to unsafe people most of which are in some form of a trap of offense, we are going to have to know how to deal with entrapped and offended people. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a master's in psychology or sociology to deal with offended people, but you do need to listen to what the Word of God says and let the Holy Spirit guide you. It takes, in other words, an overcomer. It takes an overcomer to lead someone else out of the trap of offense. Listen, Christian, you can never recover somebody from the trap of offense that you yourself are balled up with. If you're in strife and participating in it, you're, you have no position of leverage that you can use to help somebody else. Amen, if you know what I'm talking about. Look, to be... An overcomer, you must know how to walk past tar babies. Let me say it again. If you can't walk past the tar babies that Br'er Fox sets up on your path, then you are in trouble. You're in trouble in this life. And, um, you know, I, I could just hear, I could just hear people at this point just wrestling with objections within their heart. Yeah, but you don't know how important the bait is that drew me into this. You know, everyone justifies the trap of offense that they're in by the importance of the bait that caught them in the first place. But don't you know that Satan has engineered into that trap that very reasoning? It's a simple formula. The more important the strife, the better the trap. 
You know, people are running around out of their minds today, behaving in the most unspeakable manners. But all the issues are important, aren't they? The bigger the strife, the, the better the trap. Tar babies are, by design, crafted to appeal to your issues, your idiosyncrasies. Satan's got a tar baby aimed right at your weak spot. Trust me. You may run into it at lunch today. I don't know, but, but it's out there waiting luring you. It may be the very moment you turn the radio on or your TV set. And there it is, the tar baby. How many of you have met the TV tar baby? <laughs> Let me talk for a moment about the schematic of the trap of offense because it is quite simple. Um, like I said, it has really only two mechanical parts. It takes two of them to make, make the trap work. Number one, someone has to give the opportunity to be offended. And number two, someone has to take the opportunity to be offended. So the two working parts of the scandalon or the trap of offense are the giver of offense and the receiver of offense, the taker of offense. Now, in our text, Jesus takes a, a very hard, and it's going to be hard for some of you, difficult position when he says, if your right eye offends you, not what somebody said to you, not the way they look, not if your right eye is causing you to fall into the trap of offense, pluck your eye, not your neighbor's eye, not the guy who's making you mad, not pluck his eye out, pluck your own eye out. Why? Because you can pluck that guy's, no matter how wrong he is, pluck his eye out, you'll still go to hell. What good is it going to do you? Are you listening to what I'm saying to you? There is a giver of offense and there's a taker of offense. Now, because this schematic is so simple, the opportunity to disarm this bomb is even more simple. You want to hear it? You know how to, you want to hear how to, how to, Disarm the, the trap of offense. No taker, no offense. It probably said it so fast it went right by. No taker, no trap. No taker, no trap. Come on, people. No taker, no trap. Now, Jesus warns the person who is trapped that it's his own offense that has trapped him. That's what I said is going to be hard take. You're not going to like this. Jesus does not criticize the bait of all the social mayhem and, and what everyone's done against you or hasn't done for you and all of these things. doesn't matter. And they can all be as unjust and wicked and evil as possible. But you took the offense. Are you listening? You took the offense. So Jesus said, your right eye offends you, pluck your right eye out. And, and let, me, let me just state the obvious. The doll that, that Br'er Fox made out of tar and turpentine was nothing more than just that, a doll. It was Br'er Rabbit that turned it into a trap. 
The guy that took the offense turned it into a trap. Not the guy that set the opportunity up. Can you say amen? So then who is more responsible for the trap that you're in today? The taker always blames the giver. That's one of the signs you're in the trap of offense. Is that you always blame the person that they made me so angry. He made me crazy. You understand what I'm saying to you? All of that has a certain amount of validity if you're a sinner, if you're unsaved. But once you get saved, that goes away. You're now more than a conqueror. The greater, at least you parade around in church and say that stuff all the time. You read the scriptures about I'm an overcomer. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Woohoo! I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. We say all of these things until there's an opportunity to get offended. We dive right in, and then all of a sudden we're a sinner again. I can't help it. They just drive me crazy. Do you know what they said about me? They denied me, and they've, they've connived against me. We have a right to be offended because of what somebody has done. But the minute you become a Christian, that goes away. You turn the opportunity into a trap, not the person who set the trap. Their intentions have nothing to do with it, no matter how evil their intentions were. To ensnare you has nothing to do with it. You are the one that made it your trap of offense. In our society today, we condemn those who give offense as criminals while we exalt those that take offense as heroes or victims. We've taken all the responsibility for being mature, for being forgiving, for being understanding, for being patient away from those that take offense, and we've made those that give offense responsible for the taker's rage. All those poor people running all up and down the street, killing and beating one another and destroying everybody's property. There's very valid reasons why they're doing that. It's not their fault. It's somebody who made them do that. Now, before you get so self-righteous and, and elevate yourself, just remember that that's exactly what you were like before you got saved. Before we have Christ, we're defenseless against the trap. The whole world, the Bible says, the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. The whole world, now some people lie a little com more comfortably than others, but they're all there. It doesn't matter. They're all there in that same place. What did you get saved from if you didn't get saved out from that condition of the world where you are literally uh, a, a, a puppet, a slave, a pawn? And so the, <clears throat> those that take offense are the criminals. Um, uh, you know, those that give offense are responsible for the criminal's rage. Our society is in a culture of offense because it is the trap of Satan. And he is the prince of this world. And I wish Christians would wake up and, and, and realize where they're at, and realize the eternal truth of God's Word that does not change from century to century and circumstance. There's nothing new under the sun. What is, has been. And until Jesus Christ comes and the nations are put in His hands, it's going to continue that way in one form or another. Names and places may change, but sin is still going to have its profound effect upon the human race. 
So the culture of offense is Satan's best safeguard against people coming to God. It's what he uses to keep people from getting saved. Do you remember in Jesus' parable of the sower, how he says the sower went out and sowed the word of God and the seeds fell under different conditions. And some of those conditions prevented them from actually bearing fruit. They received the gospel, the, the word of God began to grow up in them, but then conditions in their life choked that word and it became unproductive. In, in one of those analogies, he said when the word starts growing up in somebody that's, that's received Jesus, received the gospel of Christ, it says then because they've gotten saved and because the word of God is in their heart, affliction and persecution will arise. Satan's going to come at them with affliction and persecution because of the word. And, it's, and Jesus said, and immediately they will be what? Offended. There it is again, offended, the trap of offense. Satan uses people's right that they give themselves to be offended, to rob whatever good thing God puts in them. It's how he keeps society from coming to Jesus. Satan thinks he's got our country. He thinks he's got our world. But the Lord would not say that you were the salt of the earth and the light of the world if you could not overcome what's going on today in our culture. He that is with us is greater than he that is in the world, but we got to get with him. Amen? We've got to get with him. We need to cut off the right hand and pluck out the right eye. We need to drop the attitude and join the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost so that we can be effective. We've got what it takes. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We're weak, but when we're weak, as Paul said, he is strong. His strength shows through us. So I would rather say I'm weak. That really bothers me, but I'm not going to take offense. I'm not going to let myself become embroiled. And, and uh, the answer is not to become a hermit and withdraw and just pretend that Jesus isn't saying that you avoid offense by disengaging with life around you. My goodness. Why do you have the whole armor of God? Because you're going to engage with the world around you. Why, why are all those expectations about casting down every high thing that opposes the knowledge of God? It's because you have to engage with people and engage with what's going on with society around you. But if you don't do it as a child of God, as an ambassador of Christ, as a representative of the kingdom of God, not a representative of your social status, not a representative of your race, not a representative of your political affiliation, but a representative representative of the apolitical, come on somebody, uh, the non-racial kingdom of the living God, the eternal kingdom of the living God. Jesus never saved anybody's skin. Jesus saved their lives. He saved souls, salvages lives. In fact, the Bible says man looks on the outward. God looks on the heart. Are you listening? One of the greatest warnings that Jesus gave about the last days in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, he said, And because lawlessness, King James says iniquity, lawlessness will abound, the love, and the word there is agape. So unsaved people don't have agape. There's only one people walk the face of the earth today, got agape, and that's the child of God. So because lawlessness will increase, 
the agape of many will grow cold. So Jesus, again, is warning against the trap of offense. He's saying that because we will see lawlessness ratcheted up and what is right will be wrong and what is wrong will be right. The world will be upside down and inside out. The, the net effect upon a Christian, if he touches the tar baby in a, in a sense of personal offenses, the love will go cold. The love will go cold. It will cost you the love, which means you will enter spiritual paralysis. You will live in this world, but you'll be praying for Jesus to come. And you will be hating the world that you love in and completely ineffective, ineffectual at touching people's lives. Jesus strided through strife every day of his life. Every day they hunted his soul. Every day they set up situations and opportunities for him to be offended. But you know what? Hallelujah. God so loved the world he guarded that love, and he kept it pure, praise God, as he went, didn't he? You know, modern Christianity doesn't even train Christians to avoid offenses anymore. When I first got saved, I, I, I'm sorry, I apologize. You sound like old grandpa. Well, in my day, let me tell you, it wasn't like this. I, I, don't, I don't mean to come across like that, but... but Modern Christianity does not even train Christians to avoid offense. That was, one, that was in boot camp. Christian boot camp. You've got to say the first thing you learned. You don't walk around letting the devil draw you into offense. You walk in forgiveness. You walk in peace. You are a, a man or a woman of peace and the peace of the Lord. Amen. Not anymore. Not even not in churches anymore. And instead, the church fosters a culture of offense by preaching the doctrine of victimization, the right of the individual to be offended. Yeah. Come on. Haven't you heard so much of the counseling that passes today is there to mollify the offended person's condition in the noose, in the noose of offense. Oh, you know, it's, you know, they, they did you wrong. And, uh, you know, um, I, I sympathize with you. I can, where are the strong mothers and fathers of faith? Where are the strong believers who will love people with the truth? Not criticizing, not beating them, but just understanding they're, they're tied up in this net and somebody has to immobilize them and painstakingly tell them that right eye's got to go. <laughs> I love you enough to tell you, right hand's got to go. That you got to let go of. It's like the finger trap. You just cut it off. Are you listening to me? Do you understand? Satan is running modern trends in our modern culture today. He's running it. But we're not coming to the world from the culture of the world. We're coming from the culture of Jesus, from the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Um, but uh, with the advent, for example, just one example, with the advent of the digital age that has connected the entire world together, it has produced the ability to accelerate the trap of offense at the speed of light. At an exponential rate, offenses circle the globe before the sun goes down. Are you listening to me? Social media does a lot of wonderful things 
provides, provides the network, you know, for connecting all sorts of things in the world. But one of the things um, that it does that is diabolical is it connects offenses. And if you haven't been on your social media, whatever you use lately, am I not telling the truth? Social media connects offenses. People become infuriated within days of an offense that took place half a world away. It'll never touch them. It doesn't personally involve themselves. You know, that. let me just interject at this point. One of the reasons Christians are offended and I'll tell you the exact reason why everybody gets offended is they get involved with things that don't pertain directly to them. You really have that much emotional energy, that much time that you can get yourself all spun up and wound up over stuff that has not involved your life? I mean, it's one thing to have compassion for people and care about the world that you live in and think that the world is just a little global village, but it isn't. It isn't not when you are going to live 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years and never see 95% or engage with 95% of the world. Why are you carrying the world's cares and issues in your emotions and on your mind? You know, grow where you're planted. Are you listening to me? Shine where you're planted. Hallelujah. So, you know... Strife sparks in Minneapolis, and within hours, the nation's on fire. Social media, that wouldn't happen without social media, through the, through the glory and the blessing of social media. We share offense. Everyone's offended. As, and people really are emotionally invested. They, can, they feel all those feelings. And I'm, again, I, I hope you could strip out of what I'm saying this morning and separate the message that I'm giving I'm deliberately avoiding the issues, racism, economic equity, all, all of these different things, all the political stuff. I'm just st staying away from it. I'm not wanting to get in there and fight and wrestle with all because that's not the point of the message. The point of the message is you being offended. You being offended. And by the way, before all this came up, it was you and your husband. You and your wife, whatever, you know. Um, your, your inability to get along with your coworkers and, and why is everybody always, you know, every job I have ends up with, you know, with, with me at loggerheads with the, so, you know, th this has always been an issue. Again, the servant of the Lord must not strive. Must not strive. Global media, the global media today is, is nothing more than a fire accelerant to smoldering souls that are already trapped and waiting to burn. And that's what you pay your cable bill for. Again, I got a cable bill. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a cable bill. But I'm just saying we pay for it. You pay for the bait. You pay for the bait. Now be smart about it and eat the chicken and spit out the bones. Don't get offended. Don't allow yourself to go there. The media is a fire accelerant looking for the smoldering souls of offended people to pour itself out on. And boy, I'll tell you, it's working. It is working. Let me say this to you on behalf of the Lord himself. 
Jesus does not permit his people to handle tar babies. Can I just summarize a lot of what I've said? Jesus does not permit you to handle tar babies. The reason, the reason, if, if, if a couple of the reasons I've given so far aren't enough, let me give you this reason. The reason, the big reason is because today's offendee is tomorrow's offender. That's why. Hurt people hurt people. Offended people offend people. It is the nature of the tar baby to transfer himself to the one who grabs him. You can disagree with what people think or what they say, but before you start hitting the tar baby, remember who's hiding in the weeds beside him. Are you listening to me? Offended Christians demonstrate that the Holy Spirit isn't working in them. Show me an offended Christian, I'll show you somebody, the Spirit of God's not moving in their life. Period. And that goes for me, goes for anybody. And when you are offended, the Holy Ghost is not working in your life. Period. The Holy Spirit is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, self-control. Against such there is no law, but there's plenty of law against offended people. So, the only thing that a Christian has a right to get offended at, you ready for this? You do, you do get to be offended at one thing, your own sin. A Christian has a right to be offended at their own sin. Short of that, don't touch the tar baby. You want to be mad? You want to be upset? You want to churn on the inside? Go before God and churn over the things that in your life you allow that, that uh, bring separation in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Um, you know, rather than encouraging others to be offended, and we do that in ways not even intending to, but we do encourage people to be offended sometimes by the things that we say. We, we're like the media pouring that accelerant on the smoldering flames by validating their unforgiveness. I just, I don't know why, um, I suppose I could come up with some sort of so sociologically brilliant analysis if I tried, but the, the reality is, is a number of years ago, I stopped hearing Christians in general, not just teachers and pastors, but Christians in general, regularly exhorting one another, don't be unforgiving. Don't walk in unforgiveness. More and more, as unforgiveness and being offended becomes a regular, neutral part of our life, we get quiet about exhorting against it. And more and more, the church becomes ineffectual. And the bottom line is, is that it is a sign of immaturity. A church, a church that walks in unforgiveness is an immature church. Christians that walk in, with a trap of offense, an offense in their life, are immature. There's just no other way to explain it. Proverbs says in 14 and 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. So you're immature if you're not slow to, slow to anger. Listen, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Exalts folly. 
Another Proverb, 1911. That's kind of odd, isn't it? 1911 Proverbs. A person's wisdom makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Listen, it is his glory to overlook offense. My goodness, we need glory today. Do we need more glory? We need the glory of God. We're going, to, we're going out. We're interfacing with people, unsaved people everywhere. And they're hurting. And yes, they're on fire. And double yes, they set themselves on fire. I feel bad when I see people on fire. But I don't feel guilty. Because they set themselves on fire. Yes. The world is on fire and we have, are out there and we have got to minister to people who are on fire. What do we need if we're going to deal in a fiery world? We need the glory of God. The glory. Why do you say that? Why? Well, I say it because of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I say it because of the three Hebrew young men who said to King Nebuchadnezzar, well, I'm sorry, we're not going to bow to your idol. We don't want to be rude. They weren't nasty. They weren't mean. They weren't offended. They just said, if that's the way it is, that we have to be thrown into the fiery furnace, so be it. Our God can deliver us out of that fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, just know we're never going to bow. I'm sorry. There's some things that God did, God said, God made, and you can't change it. You can, you can argue against it. You could think it's wrong that the earth has to do all the work and go around the sun. You could think that the sun has rights and that the sun ought to, that, that uh, the earth has rights to rest and the sun ought to travel around the earth once in a while. You can get mad. You can become an advocate for the, for the cosmos, a, cosmo, uh, a, 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 a cosmatic <laughs> advocate. I don't know. P, have you ever noticed there's a whole new language emerging today all surrounding being offended? But the reality is, the reality is some things are the way they are because God made them. God made them. So we need the glory of God to deal with things. Back to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. The king, according to his word, threw them in the fiery furnace. But guess what? Not even the smell of smoke was on them. They're walking around and they're praising God. And the king looked in and he saw a fourth guy in there. He said, I see one that looks like the Son of God in there. And there was Jesus in the fire with them. We are in Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. Make no mistake about it. And the only way you are not going to burn up is you have to have the glory of God upon you. The glory of God. What, what does that mean? Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Hallelujah. You want to survive Nebuchadnezzar's fire? The glory to overlook an offense is how you deal with it. Can you say amen? I want to close with this. There's not a scene in the Gospels where somebody wasn't setting up a tar baby to trap Jesus. But your salvation was too important to the Lord to lose it in the quicksand of strife. He kept it right up to the cross, right through the cross, and right in 
to glory. Hallelujah. That's the love of our God, and that's the love that's in you. That is the spirit that God has sent into your life. That's the kind of man or woman you can be. That's really, when it comes down to it, that is what a Christian is. It's someone who has that spirit in their life, in their soul, the spirit of Jesus that was kept by God's love, stayed out of strife. No one would ever accuse him of disengaging, but he never engaged in strife. Hallelujah. And he did it because of the love that he had for the world. That same love is in you and I. The Lord has put a crown on your head. It's called the Lordship of Jesus. We share under his Lordship. We are his children, princes and, and, and princesses, ambassadors of Christ. You have a crown, the crown of salvation that sits upon your head. And, and that should humble you because we're not worthy of it. But the Lord's made us worthy. He's given it to us as a gift and we walk around in it. That crown that crown, hallelujah, that's the thing that the devil runs away from you. When you wear that on your head, he can't touch you. That crown of glory, the crown of the lordship of Jesus makes you impervious to Satan's work in your life. You take the crown off, he's coming at you. He's coming at you. And you can say, I'm a Christian, but you can't do that. I'm a Christian. You can quote Bible verses. You need to get that crown of the lordship of Christ back on your head. Stop kicking the can down the road. Jesus needs to be Lord of your life. That is a, that is a functional statement. So how, what does that have to do with the trap of offense? Um, my, my closing verse explains it. Revelation 3.11, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one takes your crown. Hold what you have so that no one takes your crown. The crown of glory that, put, that God put on your head is what makes you the ambassador of Christ. When you embroil yourself in offense, you allow your crown to be taken. Jesus said, let no man take your crown. I'd like you to close your Bible and stand with me this morning. I hear people say all the time, we need to pray. We need to pray for the world. The world's on fire. We need to pray there's hurt people out there. I'm not minimizing any of that. I hear people say, we need to get the intercessors together. Well, every Christian ought to be someone who stands in the gap. All you need is to have that, wear that crown and, and, and be intentional about praying for the world around you. Let me tell you who has the power to pray effectively to see God bring out of this mess that no man can solve these issues. Trust me, no man can, can untie this knot that seems to be getting tighter every day. God can do it. God can do it. He's done it before. He can do it. And he wants to do it. He'll do it through men and women, like you and I. Here's the qualification. If you're going to be effective intercessor, you have to live above strife. 
You do not have the right to walk around offended. You cannot be offended. You say, yeah, but I care. That's great. Caring is one thing. Jesus is the advocate. Listen to me. He ever lives to make intercession. He's the advocate. All these other people running around claiming I'm an advocate, I'm an advocate. They're not doing the world a bit of good. The world, some of them do a little bit of good. Jesus' advocacy for mankind did everything for us we'll ever need. What we need is people who will pray and make a personal commitment within their heart. I will not touch the tar baby. I care, but God's going to have to show me a way to show his compassion. And oh, he will do it. If you will do that, if you will extricate yourself from all strife in your life, then you're a free man and a free woman. And you with patience and with love and care can find a way to be a blessing of hope to somebody else. With this picture in mind, a poor man, a poor woman, balled up in strife. Their life is a mess. Nothing good about it. It's hard. It's horrible. They, they can't even think of a way out. If they could see Jesus Christ and his love for them through you and you could help them to receive Jesus, you and I both know that the Lord can work a miracle in their life. We could go back and see them a year from now and they will, their life will be totally different. How did you get from here to here? Jesus, God did it. He did it in your life. Let him do it in someone else's life. So our prayer this morning, number one, servant of the Lord must not strive. Put an end to it. If, if you're here today, you know there's issues in your life where you are embroiled in strife. Be prepared, we're gonna pray. It's not gonna be a long prayer where you're going to pluck the eye out, cut the hand off, disengage from the attitude. You're going to put it on the altar. Better that you should lose that. Better that you should lose that. And whatever God says to you, you need to do for that to happen. You do it. Cut off whatever he says you have to cut off. Then that, your whole being should be cast into hell. You do that, you'll be free. And you will have power with God power with God, the, the power of his love to help a world embroiled in iniquity and strife. And so we will then close prayer for our neighbors, prayer for our city, prayer for our community. Amen. Pray with me.